Hello, and welcome to another podcast of U.S. History Repeated with Jimmy and Gene. This is Jimmy LaSalle. Today, we delve into the Hoover Dam. We discuss why it was created, how they went about getting this done, planning stages, as well as the many benefits the dam has provided to the Western United States. So now that I've done the dam introduction, we turn things over to our resident history expert, Gene Anzanakis. Jeannie, take it away. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the Hoover Dam, yet another project that is begun during the Great Depression. The Hoover Dam, which was originally known as the Boulder Dam, is located in the Black Canyon of the Colorado River, and it borders two states, Arizona and Nevada. Originally, the Boulder Canyon was thought to be the best spot for the dam, but the Black Canyon was selected instead. The Black Canyon formed about 15 million years ago during the Miocene Basin and the range uplift, and it gets its name from these black volcanic rocks that are found throughout the area. The Hoover Dam took five years to build. Construction began in 1931. Again, built during the Great Depression, over 42,000 men looking for work traveled to the area, and over the course of its construction, over 16,000 men and women worked on the project. It's estimated that about 100 workers, well, a little over 100 workers actually, were killed during the building of the dam. Veterans of the Spanish-American War and World War I were supposed to be given preference and hired first. You do have some Native American workers that were hired. And while the government said Black Americans would be hired for the project, the number of Black workers never totaled more than 30. And those workers were segregated from white workers. They had separate water buckets to to you know, drink from. One group of workers that were completely excluded altogether were Chinese workers. They were forbidden in the construction contract. And it's important to keep in mind that laws like the Chinese Exclusion Act are still the law of the land at this time in history. Workers building the Hoover Dam lived in a place called Boulder City, which was developed specifically to house the workers. Boulder City was built in 1931 by the Bureau of Reclamation and Six Companies, Inc. It was a housing area for workers who were building the Hoover Dam. The most important employees had their residences at the top of the hill nearest the apex. Managers were housed a little bit further down. And then you have dwellings for the manual labor the manual laborers that were located furthest away from the public buildings and the parks, basically the nicer areas. If you consider the makeup of the town, you can very much see that there was definitely a hierarchy there. Living conditions in the town were very poor and work began on the project before the town could even be finished. And so in the meantime, workers lived in these makeshift tents. So living conditions weren't very good. Before we can get into the building of the dam, we need to discuss why there was a need for one and why this particular location was chosen. So let's start the dam story. 
Once upon a time, the Colorado River flowed uninterrupted from the Rocky Mountains all the way to the Gulf of California along a staggering 1,450 miles. The Colorado River was unpredictable, flooding in the spring as the snow from the Rocky Mountains melted, drying up in the summer, and it ran through some of California's richest farmland. When the river overflowed, it devastated areas. When it dried up, everything died. In the early 1900s, the government began looking for ways to help encourage settlement in the West and to find ways to bring water to the people and allow for the cities that would hopefully spring up in this region. By the 1920s, the frequent damage caused by the river attracted enough attention that politicians begin to start talking about, well, what can we do? Can we tame the river? So the solution was build a dam. The Boulder Canyon Project Act of 1928 authorized construction of a dam in Boulder or Black Canyon. Construction of the All-American Canal to connect the Imperial and Coachella Valleys with the Colorado River, and it also divided the lower basin waters among the lower basin states. The Secretary of the Interior was given a budget of $165 million for construction. The act outlined the main purposes of the project. It would be flood control, improvement of navigation along the Colorado River, storage and delivery of water for reclamation and other beneficial uses, and for the generation of power. By generating power, they hoped that the project could recoup its large price tag. Again, $165 million. It's a big damn price tag. (laughs) It's a big damn price tag. While neighboring states saw the need for such a project, not every state government was quick to approve this. It required a significant amount of negotiating as you know, a number of states feared that California, which was the larger of the states, would get most of the water. The Colorado River Compact of 1922 divided the river into two basins. The upper basin, which would consist of states such as Colorado, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming. And then you have the lower basin, which were made up of Arizona, California, and Nevada. This agreement established the allotment for each basin, and it provided essentially a framework for management of the river for years to come. So it didn't just solve the problem right then and there. It looked to kind of prevent this from happy, you know, from becoming a big problem down the road. Hoover's involvement in the project is the reason the dam was renamed after him, but it wasn't named for him right away, which I'll get into in a little bit. So the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation helped to build the dam. When the dam was completed, it was the largest concrete structure ever built. The project would not only provide much needed infrastructure, it would also provide much needed jobs. The project was meticulously planned and designed. There was this 100 page document that described the entire project. And within that 100 pages, you have these 76 very specifically drawn images. So as you can imagine, there were a number of companies that were interested in building the project, but few 
could afford the bid bond of $2 million. Now, some of you might be asking, hey, what's a bid bond? Well, I'll tell you. A bid bond is issued as part of a bidding process, and it's given to the project owner. And it works a little bit like a guarantee that the person or the company that wins the bid will undertake the contract under the terms at which they bid. So they won't try to change their minds after they're told, hey, you you get to build this, right? There are usually penalties for not completing the job on time, which there were in the case of the Hoover Dam project, should it not have been completed on time, which it was, it was completed on time. And under the dam budget. And under the dam budget. Because of the high bid bond, six companies created a joint venture in order to place a bid for the project. And it, they called themselves Six Companies, Inc. And they won the bid to build the dam. The dam design yeah. uh, has what we call an arch gravity design. And it was designed to curve upstream in this narrowing curve that would direct most of the water pressure against the canyon rock walls. In order to start building, first the river had to be diverted. Naturally, they had to work around the river and begin this stage of construction when the river was at its lowest. So what they did was that they built four tunnels and they were drilled through canyon walls using dynamite. And the tunnels were then lined with three feet of concrete. And you have these workers who are known as high scalers and these men who are attached to ropes on the side of the canyon and they drilled holes in the wall and put the dynamite in and then they would remove the debris. The canyon surface had to be smoothed in order to prevent leaks. And so by 1932, they had diverted the river. And once they pumped the water out of the dam site, they began excavating the area to prepare it for the concrete. One of the first major projects where workers were expected to wear hard hats was the building of the Hoover Dam. The workers dipped their hats in tar. And once the hats were dry, they had hardened you know, enough to protect them to a certain extent from the falling debris. So they did not look like the hard hats that people wear today. The inspiration behind this were the helmets that were worn by soldiers during World War I. The helmets had saved the lives of so many men. And the thought was that this innovation could then be used on industrial projects. So first, the hats were known as hard-boiled hats. Prior to the building of the Hoover Dam, protective headgear was optional, if you can imagine that. So now it's mandatory. I think that was a good innovation. It was. Who'd have thunk? Boil your hat, right? Well, the dipping of the tar was was actually interesting too, right? Because the tar got hard. Like if you ever see, think of think of like the street when they pave that with the blacktop and then they have the tar that gets very hard. So that was a, a good innovation and good It was thinking. a damn good innovation. That's what you damn call good that. Innovation. <laughs> and they, you know that, that the damn jokes. I hope they don't get too old for our um, for our listeners. We're we're funny like that. Yes. So they needed a lot of concrete. So mixing plants were built in order to prep the concrete on site. And they had these nine different cableways that were used to lower the concrete into the molds. And workers worked continuously, regardless of the weather. Damn breaks. No damn breaks. And if you know that particular area in the summertime, it gets pretty damn hot. 
no pun intended, just gets really hot. The concrete pores were also meticulously planned. Concrete gives off heat and it contracts as it hardens. So the pores had to be done in stages. They built these large rectangular molds and they were uh, fitted with these steel pipes that carried water underneath them in order to allow them to cool faster. Any cracks, because anybody who knows concrete knows that concrete cracks. So any cracks were then filled in before moving on to the next section. And then those water pipes that were put underneath were also filled in. And then once all that was done, they would begin pouring the next section. You definitely don't want any damn cracks. No, you want to fill those in. Mm -hmm. The designers estimated that if they didn't do that, that if they had done the concrete in you know one continuous pour, it would have taken 125 years for the concrete to cool. I thought that was a neat fact. Yeah, that was just that's probably just for the density of the concrete. You know, the thicker it is, the longer it takes because it dries from the outside in. Yeah. So that makes makes sense with the amount of concrete used in that project. The way that they went with it in having the smaller sections kind of stacked on top of each other. And there are great videos that you can go and see of, of how they went and dropped the concrete into the mold. Yeah, there's a lot of really great video. So just to review, because I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but the purposes of the Hoover Dam, you know, first and foremost, river regulation, improvement of navigation of the Colorado River, flood control. Delivery of water for irrigation and, you know, other domestic uses. You know, people need to shower, clean themselves. The third was power generation. Most people forget that the Hoover Dam is also a source of power for the region. Excavation for the powerhouse was carried out simultaneously with the dam's foundation and abutments. The excavation of this U-shaped structure was completed in late 1933, but the building wasn't completed by the time of the dam's dedication. By 1936, the water level of Lake Mead was high enough in order to begin generating power. And by 1939, the dam's power plant had become the largest hydroelectric facility in the world. Power generation has allowed the dam to be self-sustaining. The sale of power not only paid for the 50-year construction loan, but it also pays for the upkeep of the dam, which is also expensive. Lake Mead is the nation's largest reservoir, and it was formed by the Hoover Dam. It covers about 248 square miles, and it's capable, it doesn't unfortunately hold this, but it's capable of holding almost 29 million feet of water. It's, it's tremendous. The creation of Lake Mead, which was named after a man by the name of Elwood Mead, who was the commissioner of the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation when the dam was you know, being planned and built. The problem is that Drought and increased water demand has kept that river well below capacity since 1983. Lake Mead today is at an all-time low. And if water levels continue to drop, the Hoover Dam could stop generating electricity. So it, it would cause you know a snowball effect of problems for a number of states and millions of people. As the water levels of Lake Mead continue to decline and the demand for water from the Colorado River increases, 
the amount of power that the Hoover Dam can make has decreased over the years. So it's important to understand that while the Hoover Dam was built many, many years ago, it's still incredibly important. And climate change and drought and increased population in the region has all created significant obstacles. I will say here, since July 8th, that releases from the Glen Canyon have driven Lake Mead's level up. While Lake Powell followed a seasonal summer trend of decline, the end result, Lake Mead is 34% full nearing the end of the 22-23 water year. It's expected to rise throughout the rest of the year with intervening flows between Lake Powell and Lake Mead. And it's projected to be 1,065 feet on December 31st. Well, I hope that happens. That would be very good. So when the dam was built, the contractors finished their work two years ahead of schedule and millions of dollars under budget. It's pretty damn good. On September 30th, 1935, the Boulder Dam was dedicated by then-President Franklin Roosevelt, former President Herbert Hoover, who was instrumental in the dam's existence, wasn't invited to the ceremony, nor was he even mentioned. How's that? The names Boulder Dam and Hoover Dam were used interchangeably. I'll give you one guess what FDR referred to it as. In April of 1947, President Harry Truman approved a congressional resolution that officially confirmed the dam would carry Hoover's name. It's important to mention that the dam has been a target throughout history. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, private boats weren't allowed in the canyon and the area wasn't reopened until after World War II ended. There was even a plot by the Germans to attempt to bomb the dam. This was not a fact known to the average American during the time, though. It really wasn't publicly known until 2001 when these old documents were uncovered. When the dam opened, U.S. Route 93 ran across the top of the dam. And as the population of the area grew, the road simply became too congested. And in 2005, construction began on a dam bypass bridge and was completed in 2010. FDR, in his speech to dedicate the dam, stated the following. And this is a direct quote from his speech. The morning I came, I saw and I conquered as everyone would be who sees for the first time this great feat of mankind. 10 years ago, the place where we gathered was an unpeopled, forbidding desert in the bottom of the gloomy canyon whose precipitous walls rose to height of more than a thousand feet flowed a turbulent, dangerous river. The site of Boulder City was a cactus-covered waste, and the transformation wrought here in these years is a 20th century Marvel. And people say that about the Hoover Dam. I have never been, but Jim has. Ah, yes. So I have a couple of things to add. Back when we were talking about the last time Lake Mead was at maximum capacity, uh, which is an elevation of 1,220 feet near the dam, was in both 1983, which you mentioned, but also in 1999, which I did not know until when I looked it up. Why is Lake Mead rising again? combination of historic winter snowpack and new federal agreements to pay cities, farmers, and tribes to conserve water are expected to raise 
Lake Mead to a high point of 1,070 feet by February of 2024, which is the most recent federal data. Now, answering the question about me going to the Hoover Dam, I have never been physically in the dam, but when I went to Las Vegas and Arizona back in December of 2020, my family and my wife, my two children, and even our dad, we took a helicopter tour from the Las Vegas Strip all the way over to uh, the Grand Canyon, and on the way there, we passed the dam. It was very impressive. Just the sheer size of it from the height that we're at was very impressive. And we also saw those towns that you were mentioning, and they they explained how they kind of developed over time and everything else and how they were tense there. And we didn't get to go to the Hoover Dam, but we saw the road there. We saw the bridge. It was it was it was very impressive to see. Yeah, I would imagine so. I would like to go someday. And you, of course, can visit the Hoover Dam. We'll still give them a shout out, even though they didn't come on our episode. Yes. And by the way, you have a very good success rate with getting those interviews. And just so our listeners know, Gene does reach out for these interviews and has met a good number of people. Only twice, I think, you got rebuffed. I think it was the Harlem Renaissance and now the Hoover Dam. So to our listeners, if you are involved in any historical U.S. organization, museum, library, landmark, what have you, reach out to us and get on our guest list. We will be happy to interview you and hear your story, and you can share your knowledge with our listeners. And this will conclude this damn podcast. Thanks for listening to U.S. History Repeated. This is Jimmy LaSalle with Gene Anzanakis saying, follow us on all of our social channels, get on our email list, and there is always more to learn. Talk to you soon.